Hello and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane, and this is the podcast in which I count down my top 40 most frequently rewatched movies in 20 years. If you're a regular listener, you may have noticed that this week's episode is a day later than usual, and that's partly because, as you can probably tell, I'm a bit sick, so I was trying to wait until my voice sounded better to record, and partly because it felt appropriate to release this episode on a Friday instead of the usual Thursday. So welcome to my late and somewhat scratchy voice discussion of number 24 on my list, Disney's 2003 fantasy comedy Freaky Friday, directed by Mark Waters, written by Heather Hawke and Leslie Dixon, based on the novel by Mary Rogers, and starring Jamie Lee Curtis and Lindsay Lohan. Teenage musician Anna Coleman, Lindsay Lohan, and her widowed therapist mother Tess, Jamie Lee Curtis, seem to be in constant conflict, fueled partly by their generation gap and partly by Anna's reluctance to accept Tess's relationship with her fiancé, Ryan, Mark Harmon. Anna's band is offered an audition that conflicts with Tess and Ryan's rehearsal dinner, which leads to a heated argument between Anna and Tess at a Chinese restaurant. Overhearing this, the restaurant proprietor's mother, Lucille Soong, gives them fortune cookies with identical fortunes, causing an earthquake that only the two of them can feel. When they wake up the following morning, Anna and Tess have switched bodies. In trying to live each other's lives, each finally begins to understand the other. I feel like I might have seen this movie in theaters, but I don't actually remember. I do know that it was one of the first DVDs my family got, and I have lots of memories of playing around with the interactive menu and watching the bloopers over and over. I saw the movie once in 2003, so that may have been in a theater, then four times in 2004 and three times in 2005, back when we didn't own many other DVDs. Then I saw it once each in 2007, 2009, 2011, 2012, 2017, 2018, and 2019, and twice each in 2020 and 2022. I've only seen the 1976 version of Freaky Friday once, and that was in 2006, so I don't remember much about it. From what I do recall, it's a very silly, broad comedy, which is not a bad thing by any means, but one of the main things that I particularly appreciate about the 2003 version is that despite its wacky premise, it feels grounded. The characters feel like real people. Even the body switching is almost believable. And that is almost entirely due to the phenomenal acting by the two main stars. Lindsay Lohan had already demonstrated her ability to play multiple characters in the same movie five years earlier in The Parent Trap, which unfortunately just barely missed my top 40 with 14 rewatches while I was keeping track. And she is thoroughly convincing as both a teenager and her mother here. Jamie Lee Curtis got arguably the more fun role and absolutely nailed it in every possible way, which is extraordinarily impressive given that she was only cast a few days before filming started. Originally, the part was offered to Jodie Foster, who had played the daughter in the 1976 version, which she declined because she didn't want stunt casting to become the main focus of the film. So Annette Bening was cast, but dropped out at basically the last minute and was replaced by Curtis, who proceeded to give one of my favorite performances of all time. She is the perfect blend of fun and serious, entirely believable as both Tess and Anna in Tess's body. Neither Lowen nor Curtis seems to be trying to do an impression of the other, which potentially could have made the swap even more believable, but personally I'm glad they didn't get hung up on trying to mimic each other's mannerisms and instead focused on capturing the attitude of each other's character. 
The movie isn't about how Jamie Lee Curtis would act in Lindsay Lohan's body or vice versa. It's about people who are exasperated with each other learning that the other's life is more complicated and difficult than they realized. And that could not have possibly been more perfectly portrayed. While this movie is a comedy and has many very funny moments, the climax always makes me cry. After all their fighting and misunderstandings, it is so satisfying and beautiful to see Tess and Anna finally learn to feel and display the selfless love required to change them back. The series of beautiful moments starts when Anna's friends show up at the rehearsal dinner to take Anna to their audition. Anna in Tess's body explains the situation to Ryan, commenting that she knows he doesn't care because Anna's just some kid in a stupid rock band. And then Mark Harmon, who has spent most of the movie being politely confused, gets his big moment when Ryan tells Anna, who is, of course, really Tess, to go to the audition, and then goes off on Tess, who's really Anna, saying he doesn't intend to be an uncaring stepfather. He very much does care about Tess's children and wants to be part of their family, and encouraging Tess to go watch Anna's audition. Jamie Lee Curtis perfectly conveys Anna's realization that she has underestimated Ryan before rushing off to the concert where she is desperately needed because Tess has no idea how to perform in a band. Side note, it would have been completely understandable for this teenage band to just be okay, but they are legitimately awesome and their song slaps so much harder than it needed to for the purposes of this movie and I absolutely love that. Anyway, when they start to perform, Anna sees that Tess is petrified and makes her way backstage, reassures her mom that she just needs to fake it, and then Anna and Tess's body plays her epic guitar solo offstage. That shot of Lindsay Lohan's face when the solo starts and she turns in shock still gives me chills. That holy moly, my daughter is super talented, how did I not realize that until now? Look, oh, it's so good. And then when the band finishes slaying, they both return to the rehearsal dinner and Tess tells Anna to explain to Ryan that they need to postpone the wedding. Instead, Anna starts a toast about how even though she still misses her dad, she's willing to welcome Ryan into their family because of how happy he makes her mom. And it's in the middle of this that another earthquake hits and they switch back. And I just cannot even begin to explain how perfect it is. And of course, the only reason this pays off so well is because of how meticulously and realistically their relationship and individual objectives have been set up throughout the movie. We know that Anna cares about her music while Tess merely tolerates it, and we know that Tess is in love with Ryan while Anna only reluctantly accepts that he's going to marry her mom. And seeing these two people who are so focused on their own objectives finally understand and acknowledge that the others are equally important is so thrilling to me because I desperately wish things like that would happen more in real life. I admit to often finding it difficult to understand other people's perspectives and motivations, no matter how much I want to. And in some ways, this movie doesn't really help because it implies that the only way to overcome that barrier is to literally switch bodies with someone else, which as far as I know is impossible. But I think that at least in Tess and Anna's case, they could have reached a similar understanding without the magic if they'd just listened to each other. Early in the movie, Tess thinks Anna is being ridiculous when she says that certain people are out to get her, like her former best friend Stacey Hinkhouse, played by Julie Gonzalo, and her English teacher Mr. Bates, played by Stephen Tobolowski, and apparently named in reference to the character who killed Jamie Lee Curtis's mother, Janet Lee's character, in the movie Psycho. But once Tess attends school as Anna, she learns that Stacy really is very mean to Anna for no apparent reason, and that Mr. Bates really is grading her unfairly because he's still bitter that Tess wouldn't go to their high school prom with him. If Tess had taken Anna seriously to begin with, she wouldn't have needed to literally live her life to learn that. 
So that's the lesson I've tried to take from Freaky Friday. Listen to people, give them the benefit of the doubt, and bear in mind that their lives are probably more difficult and complicated than they appear to you. Surprisingly, an aspect of this movie that I think works remarkably well is the romance. This is unexpected both because of how much time I spend complaining that there is too much romance in movies in general, and because in this particular movie, the two main characters aren't who their love interests think they are for most of the story. Anna has a crush on Jake, played by Chad Michael Murray, but they've never spoken until the day before the switch. They have one kind of cute conversation that is interrupted by Mr. Bates, and then the next time they meet, Anna is Tess. Jake doesn't like this version of Anna, but he runs into the real Anna in Tess's body at the coffee shop where he works, and they have a great conversation about music. As someone who does not experience sexual or romantic attraction but does understand compatibility, watching people bond over shared music taste makes way more sense to me than watching people make out. This is a type of romance I can wrap my head around. Maybe it should seem a bit creepy for a middle-aged adult and a teenager to be flirting with each other, but the audience so thoroughly believes that Jamie Lee Curtis is Anna that it doesn't come across as weird at all. Later, when Tess's Anna kisses Jake to try to get him to leave the person he believes is Tess alone, he says, You're beautiful, but you're not her. And it is so wonderful to see this deviation from the stereotype that teenage boys just want to sleep with every girl they can get. Jake really likes Anna for who she is, and that makes so much more sense to me than something like Anna's initial crush on Jake before they've even met. My brain needs there to be a reason why people like each other beyond they're attractive, and we have the exact same taste in music fits that. So I support Anna and Jake's romance, and I hope they're happy together. And of course, I already mentioned that I love when Ryan makes it clear that he's marrying Tess not only because he wants to be with her, but also because he wants to be part of her children's lives. Given Disney's typically negative portrayal of step-parents, this is huge. Ryan recognizes that this is a difficult situation for Anna and her brother Harry, and he's doing his best to make the transition easier for them, and it's so nice to see that. I feel like I can easily picture what Tess and Ryan's life together will look like, which is more than I can say about a lot of couples who get married at the end of movies. I realize that romantic films are intended to be about the wooing and falling in love parts, but often I find it hard to believe that romantic leads will actually have a functional relationship going forward, so I appreciate that this movie doesn't have that problem. And of course, I also appreciate that this movie heavily focuses on non-romantic relationships in the midst of romance. The main relationship is between Tess and Anna, but there are several side relationships that mirror this, including the conflicts between Pepe, Rosalind Chow, and her mom, Lucille Soon, and between Anna's brother Harry, Ryan Malgarini, and their grandpa, Harold Gould. I wish Pepe and her mom were better developed characters, and the one aspect of this movie that doesn't quite sit well with me is the whole fortune cookie thing. I appreciate that the filmmakers were trying to find a creative mechanism to initiate the switch, and maybe it would have worked better if the rest of the cast was more diverse, but something about the only Asian characters in the movie having mystical powers feels uncomfortably close to racist stereotypes of exotic foreigners. So I wish that had been portrayed differently. But I do like that there's a mother-daughter conflict between Pepe and her mom about how or whether to resolve the mother-daughter conflict between Tess and Anna. Pepe wants her mom to stay out of it, but her mom can't seem to help herself. Meanwhile, Harry and his grandpa are constantly teasing and misunderstanding each other throughout the movie, so at the wedding at the end, Pepe's mom offers them cookies. 
Three different endings of the movie were shot, two of which imply that Grandpa and Harry are about to switch bodies, but the one that made it to the final cut has Pepe tackling them and successfully retrieving the unopened cookies before they have a chance to wreak more havoc. I hope this means that Harry and Grandpa, and for that matter Pepe and her mother, will find a way to resolve their differences without magic. The fact that a movie with this ridiculous of a premise manages to have characters that feel real enough that I care what happens to them after the events of the film is exactly what I love about it. If you're a frequent listener of this podcast, you may have noticed that a lot of my favorite movies are based on ideas that don't sound like they should work but somehow turn out much more enjoyable than they have any right to be. In Freaky Friday's case, the incredible writing and acting turned what could have been a mildly entertaining but forgettable romp into a moving, powerful crash course in empathy that I cannot stop revisiting. Thank you for listening to my analysis of another of my most frequently rewatched films. Next week, I will be returning to obscure old Hollywood to discuss another movie with a ridiculous premise, which coincidentally also involves an adult pretending to be a child, although under very different circumstances than Freaky Friday. So follow or subscribe to stay tuned for that. And as always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. You should be very glad I'm not 12. I was a very straightforward child. I used to spit.